Steve Menzi of Sport Card Expo. Um, we appreciated him coming on to the show last week, explaining the virtual edition that is coming up on June 19th and 20th, and the exciting return of the live expo in the fall in November. So again, thank you, Steve Menzi, for being on our show last week to explain the ins and outs of the Sport Card Expo, especially this coming virtual edition. Over to you, Amit. So I'm really excited about tonight's show. So tonight's show is a bit of a different flair. So the point of our show, and I always want to remind people, the whole point of our show, even though we're we're cardboard nerds and we like to talk about trading cards, it's more of a bigger picture story with us. So Kent and I want to make sure we talk about the inclusivity and diversity in our in our hobby and collectibles in general. Um, this is a, a very special month. Uh, this is a National Indigenous History Month. So we are very excited to, it's actually on June 1st. So we, I'm really excited that it landed on June 1 so we can kick off the month, right? Um, and we got our good buddy, Name, who's going to join us. And a bit of a different way of doing it this time is Name actually has a lot of content and it's only right that Name be more of a traditional host in this case. And so we're hosting Name, but Name will actually run through um, the presentation and whatnot. And uh, Kent and I will hang out in the background and look at questions and answer questions, et cetera, et cetera. So again, like I said, we're really excited for this. So we're going to bring on name. And after we bring on name, I'm going to do something a bit different uh, to start off the show. And then name is going to take it from there. So let me just bring name on just to say hello. Hey, name. Hey, name. Hey, meeting Kent. Good to be here. Awesome. It's great to have you back for show number two. So um, you are now part of a almost a Hall of Fame, I guess, too. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you're officially the the only person who's come back as a second time around. Shh, don't tell Jeremy. Don't tell Jeremy. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. <laughs> okay. So I promised at the outset uh, when I was introducing name that I would do a land acknowledgement. So I'm yes. going to do my best to do a land acknowledgement that my son uh, and and my older boy and my younger boy do in school every morning before to play the Canadian national anthem. So I've been practicing to make sure I am doing this respectfully. So if I make a mistake, I apologize. It's not out of ignorance. Is uh, I may not have the enunciation proper, but I'm going to do my best. So first, I want to say. We acknowledge that we're hosted on the land of the Mississaugas, of the Ashnishnabe, Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and the Wendat. We also recognize the enduring presence of all First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples. The reason this is important is because Canada is a diverse has a diverse history, but Indigenous people have have done a, have had an important role to play in our history. Um, Name is going to take over from here, and then I'll let him do his own land acknowledgement as well. Go ahead, name. Can't you don't want to do one? Go ahead and do uh, yours. I just okay. did one. All right. I actually have a land acknowledgement on my uh, little slide deck there, but uh, I just want to uh, acknowledge that uh, I'm uh, I'm living uh, as an uninvited guest on the uh, unceded ancestral traditional territory of the Okanagan peoples, and I'm very honored to, to be here, living here, and uh, working here and just enjoying my life with my family here. And I just a uh, big thank you to the uh, Silk people for uh, taking care of this land and being such great stewards of it so we can continue to live here today. Awesome. 
So for those of you um, who haven't caught us uh, before, the purpose are unaware of it. The purpose of the land acknowledgement is to know the historical impact of the people that were here first. Um, ensure that we're paying respect to those, to the lands that were there before ours. And now we're enjoying the fruits of that labor, but we can't uh, be ignorant that where the history have a bit of a fan noise here. Maybe just go on mute name for a second. Sure. Yep, I can do that. There you go. Sorry, I, I'm, I'll repeat one more time. Um, we did the land acknowledgement to understand, make sure people understand, you know, the importance of where we're living, how we got here, uh, and historical significance of it, and paying respect to those who came before us. So, name actually put together a wicked presentation deck, and when Kent and I saw it, we were blown away. We're like. How, we can't even do this justice. So um, I'm going to actually probably just turn it over to name and I'm going to share a presentation. Um, before I do that, Kent, did you have anything you want to add right now? No, I think you've covered all the bases of meat. Um, uh, let's have our guest uh, do his presentation. Let everybody see what we're talking about. Awesome. So name, I'm going to show the file and then you're going to just let me know to tell me when to go next. Okay, sir. Go ahead, name. All right. Uh, I just want to thank everybody for being here tonight uh, and uh, tuning in. And I uh, just want to thank Amit and Kent for their uh, their great land acknowledgement. They did a great job. And uh, that's the one thing about land acknowledgements is, you know, you got to start somewhere. And they both uh, did an excellent job of, uh, of sharing that tonight. So uh, what I'm going to be talking about tonight is uh, indigenous influence in, in in the game of hockey so um if you've uh followed me on instagram if you've watched uh, cardboard culture before you know that i collect the rookie cards of the indigenous uh nhl players and uh over the years I, i've been really fortunate enough to learn a lot uh learn a lot about the, the players and um see the, the impacts that they they've had on the on the game of hockey and, and a lot of times it's, it's not acknowledged and I, I appreciate the space that's given tonight uh, that we're able to we're able to talk about that here and uh, hopefully you can walk away tonight and you've, you feel that you've, uh, you've learned something or that you appreciate something even more that you already knew. So uh, we'll just go to the next slide there, Amit. So um, this is my land acknowledgement again. Um, I always start every presentation that I do uh, with a land acknowledgement and uh, you know, Amit explained the, the land acknowledgements very well. And uh, one thing I will note about it is that uh, it's rooted in, in indigenous worldview. Um, when you uh, talk about yourself in relation to place, uh, you're acknowledging um, the land that you live on and um, the place that you come from. And um, when we introduce ourselves traditionally, we always talk about that when we, we talk about where we're from and who our family members are um, so that we can find ways of, of being connected to each other and um, that's what the land acknowledgements do. It, it uh, not only acknowledges that colonial history that uh, Canada has, uh, the, imp the um, impacts that Indigenous peoples have provided um, in Canadian society, but also it acknowledges that Indigenous worldview that uh, it's important to uh, locate yourself and where you come from so people can understand uh, a little bit of your perspectives on uh, how you view the world. We'll just go to the next one. And um, before I get started tonight, um, I just want to take a moment and 
uh, just uh, make a, um, a little uh, note of this. Uh, um, on Thursday night, Friday morning, uh, it was national news that uh, that 200, uh, 200, the remains of uh, 215 Indigenous children were found um, uh, on the grounds of the uh, Kamloops Indian Residential School. And um, I just wanted to uh, uh, bring our attention to that and just say, like, um, I want you to know, like, uh, normally, um, I, I shared this with the meter earlier. Normally, I would I would wait uh, a little bit of time before I would be doing a presentation out of respect for for all those who were who are lost and is a really tragic news and um, it it sent the entire indigenous community across the country uh, reeling and um, I um, I feel really terrible for all those who are uh, directly impacted from the communities who um, attended that residential school and you know all of the, all of their family members that were, were lost during that time and they had no idea where they went or what happened to them because these graves were unmarked and there's no way that the, the church uh, in the schools let their families know that their, their kids were gone. And that's what happened quite often. You would send your kids away or that they would come and take your kids and then they wouldn't come back sometimes. And there would be a lot of reasons for that. Um, a lot of times they were they were beaten to death. Uh, they were, um, they died of, of disease. Um, there was experiments that were done on children. Uh, a lot of, lot of types of abuse in there, sexual abuse. Kids would try to run away from these places and they would die trying to get home because they wanted to get home so bad. And um, I, I think it's important that we take the time to acknowledge this and that, uh, you know, this, this still affects us today um, through what's called an intergenerational trauma. If you're uh, un unfamiliar with the intergenerational trauma, um, that is trauma that is passed down from family member to family member. So a lot of the abuses that were learned in these places, um, the kids took them home. And when they became parents, they passed those onto their kids and their family members. And it's a, it's a terrible, terrible legacy of uh, what the residential schools were for. And the purpose of these places was to kill um, indigenous culture so that we would become more Canadian and mainstream and we would, we would, uh, we would be living amongst Canadians. Uh, even though our skin color was different, we would not have our languages and our culture and our beliefs anymore. Um, so it, this is really hard for me to talk about sometimes. Uh, I am a teacher and my background is in Indigenous education. And this is something that I have to talk about quite often. And this impacts me directly. Um, you know me from uh, collecting hockey cards. You see hockey, you see me um, talking about hockey cards and you know all these like awesome things that um, Indigenous NHLers have done, hockey players have done. And, um, I don't get to share this side of me. My, both of my parents are survivors of residential school, and I'm the first generation in my family to not have to attend residential school. Um, and a lot of you might know that the last residential school closed in 1996 in Saskatchewan, and I was 15 years old at that time. And I have a very close friend who attended that school. And um, so that this is still very much present in our, in our society today, unfortunately. Um, and it was, this was purposeful, this was set out. Um, there's documentation about it, there are statements made in newspapers, 
um, from government officials about the plan for, for residential schools. Um, and it's very important for us to be able to talk about that um, very openly. Um, I'm not here to make anyone feel guilty. I know, I know there's nobody here who's directly responsible for this, but it's important that we acknowledge this history and we talk about it. Um, and we try to find a way for this place to be better for all of us to live together because we, we share this land and it's, it's important and really vital that we have good relations in, in what we're doing uh, and how we live here together. And uh, um, I, I, I just wanted to be able to share that before I got started. And I, I really thank everyone for, for entering this with open minds and open hearts and, um, and coming here and, and allowing me to speak and uh, to share, to share what, what I know about the history and then also um, to, to lift up our people in some way through the, the uh, very important impacts that uh, Indigenous people have had on the game of hockey. So um, thank you for, uh, for listening to that. And uh, I, I hope that tonight after you walk away from here, you're, you're, you feel like you've learned something and that I've been able to share something with you that you can take home and that you can talk about um, and want to learn more about. So um, we'll, we'll just go to the next slide, Amit, and, and Ken. Yes, and just before you go any further and before we change slides, I want to first uh, say thank you to Name to talk about this. I know it's not easy, and I can't say I know how it feels because I don't. I have to understand the words that are coming out of Name's mouth and do the research. Um, Kent and I have both talked about that it's our kind of moral responsibility to spread the, the word of love and, and knowledge across all of our, our different people that are watching and through our hobby. This is one way of doing it. And I hope that even if we affect one person, that would be a success in my mind. So I felt it was very important that Name could deliver this message. And I think this is a, for honestly, Name, I feel this is a milestone moment for our show because this is something that appeals directly to us. And I will never forget this for as long as I do these shows. So, or we do these shows. So I will go to the next slide, sir. Uh, thank you for that. And uh, thank you again, Amit and Ken, for giving me the space to be able to come here. And I, I, I know that what the um, main goals of this show is. So I, um, I really admire what you're both doing. And I appreciate that this is coming to our hobby and people, uh, you know, who, who appreciate the hobby and, you know, they love collecting um that they can see the other side of things and that uh i i always see that there's there's more to hockey cards than what we just see on on the on the piece of cardboard there's stories there um but um i'll just uh, get into the presentation here i i like starting things by um telling you a little bit about who i am and where i come from and uh i'm i'm a Cree person in my language we're called uh, nihil and uh what that means is it means it's a four-part person uh, and it's our belief that every person has four parts to them, physical, their mental, their emotional, and their spiritual. And that comes directly from our teachings. And that's how we refer to ourselves. And that's how we refer to people uh, as, as being four, four part people. And uh, I'm a member of the Tall Creek First Nation, which is located in Treaty 8 territory. So my community is in um, the very northwest corner of Alberta. Um, it's about seven hours north of Edmonton, and I, I grew up there um, until I was uh, about 19 years old, and then I moved away to Edmonton to go to school. Um, but uh, I, am a, uh, I am a member of Treaty 8, uh, and our territory extends from uh, 
um, the north of the Athabasca River in Alberta, all the way into the northeastern part of uh, BC and right up to the Northwest Territories. And it extends a little bit into the Northwest Territories and uh, in Saskatchewan as well. Uh, but uh, I, I am a father. Uh, I have three beautiful children. You can see them in that in um, the picture there. Uh, my oldest is five. Uh, her name is Amelia, and uh, her um, the name that she was given in, in ceremony is uh, is Kehiwa Squeezes, which means eagle girl. And uh, that little guy on my shoulders there—that's all. That's uh, Augie, um, and his name is Pasqua uh, Mustosawasis, which means buffalo child. Uh, and those names were given to um, my children in, in ceremony uh, when they were after they were born. And uh, my youngest son, Alden, who you see my wife, beautiful wife, Melanie, carrying, uh, he's only, he's 11 months old. He's going to be one year old uh, this month. And he hasn't received the name yet because uh, COVID hasn't allowed us to have any ceremonies um, for that to take place, unfortunately. But he will, he will get a name as well one day. Um, and my, my beautiful wife, uh, Melanie, she, is, uh, she grew up in Maple Ridge, BC, and she's a uh, Chippewa. Uh, you might also know that as uh, Shushwa, and uh, she grew up in, on the coast in Maple Ridge, and her family uh, originates from the Canoe Creek Indian Band, which is about uh, two and a half hours north of Kamloops. And uh, she's just recently been starting to connect um, to her home community. And uh, like I said, uh, I'm the son of two residential school survivors. Both my mom and dad uh, attended uh, day school and in Fort Vermilion, Alberta at the St. Henry's uh, Catholic Mission. And uh, my grandparents went to residential school as well. So um, myself and my siblings are the first in our family to not have to attend residential school. And I'm very happy for that. And um, I just want to mention that, uh, that the, the, the abuses that came out of residential school and we talk about and, um, you know, we make note of uh, those are all things that I've experienced in my life and that I've either witnessed or I've, I've experienced firsthand. So um, those things are, are very much present and I, I need to work on myself every single day to uh, ensure that I, I, I don't pass those things along to my children because I, I have a lot of things that I, I'm working out um, because of my experiences growing up. And uh, I, it, it's uh, something that I, I take one day at a time and I'm just trying to make things better and um, for myself and my family moving forward. And uh, I, I know that, that this all comes out of uh, residential schools and uh, the, the trauma that came from there. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll just move on to the next slide. Just before we do that, I want to say hello to Dennis Lescombe. He shows up to our show every single show. So I want to thank you for that. We also have uh, Jeremy, he's uh, saying hello. Well, thanks, Jeremy. And I know name beat you to show number two. But we'll get you on again. And Sanderson to or always somebody and check it out. So, so hello to you guys and to folks who are on Facebook. So um, go ahead. Awesome. Yeah. So th this is a, a photo from my home community in Fort Vermilion. This is the Peace River. It flows right through my community. And I, I grew up uh, spending a lot of time on the land, like uh, hunting with my dad and uh, uh, fishing. I grew up on that river. Um, I learned how to, I learned survival skills there. I, I learned how to fish. Uh, I, I learned a lot uh, from spending time on that river right there and, and from spending time on the land. And uh, I just wanted to share that with you so you could uh, get a little bit of a picture of uh, 
what it's like back home. Um, and we can just go to the next slide. And uh, this is uh, my wife's home community, New Creek. This is uh, in British Columbia. Uh, we, we visited there uh, two or three years ago. And um, we're, we're always planning on going back, but the uh, last couple of years have been COVID. So uh, I just wanted to share that with you. And that was really important for us to be there and for our kids to see that. Go to the next slide. So we'll, um, I just introduced myself to you and um, uh, we'll, we'll start talking a little bit about uh, indigenous contributions to uh, the game of hockey. And um, in, in uh, my travels over the years, I've been very fortunate to meet a lot of really amazing people. And um, one person I met was uh, Dr. Wilton Littlechild and he's a, uh, He's a lawyer and he's also, um, he's a, a grand chief of Treaty 6 at one time and he's an alumni of the uh, U of A Golden Bears hockey team. So he was a very good athlete back in back when he was young. Uh, one of the conversations I had with him uh, a couple of years ago now was talking about uh, the Mi'kmaq and how there's, uh, there's evidence that they may have invented the game of hockey. And um, it, it brought me to this uh, CBC News story about uh, a family in, in Nova Scotia who are who are researching that, and they're making a documentary. So this lady um, that you'll see in this in this uh, clip here, um, she is exploring uh, all the evidence that she's been able to get um, on how the in, the Mi'kmaq have impacted the game of hockey and how it's quite possible that they invented hockey and. Um, she's a professor at the uh, University of Nova Scotia. She's a professor of uh, political science, so she's uh, she's Mi'kmaq herself. And uh, uh, we'll we'll just play. And uh, the reason why I want to share this is because I just want you to uh, start thinking differently about uh, what we see in the world, and start thinking about you know that like get your mind going that you know it may be possible that the Mi'kmaq did invent a game of hockey, and um, that there's a lot of a lot larger contributions from indigenous people that we, than we know. So we can play it. Awesome. And I want to say hi quickly to Hockey Card Nostalgia for joining. Thanks for joining. And then we'll play the, the video. And this is a video done by CBC. We're showing it on here. So I'm sure YouTube will have some fun with this. All right, my name is Chase Nicholas and I play hockey and the Mi'kmaq are the creators of hockey. I remember having a conversation with Chase one day driving home and saying, Chase, you can play this game, you know, because they're down on themselves. They don't think they're ever good enough. So you can play this game. You know, this is our game. This is a Mi'kmaq game. The Mi'kmaq invented hockey. I, I think their game, whatever it was, influenced our game. Whether it was exactly like our game, I suspect not. It couldn't be like our game. Is it the, the roots of our game? I'd be more likely to call it that. My mom and my auntie were doing a video on the Mi'kmaq hockey sticks and the creators of hockey. So I had a project to do on um, Canadian history because they needed the research done, so I decided to do it as a project for my school work. So he always knew that, you know, there was claims of Mi'kmaq invented hockey, but you don't realize until you really, until we started looking into it, 
uh, how much information and evidence is out there. It's not by uh, non-native historians or academics that are going to say the Mi'kmaq invented hockey because that's not where the evidence is. The evidence is with the Mi'kmaq people. The evidence is within our language, within our legends, within our stories. There's nowhere in the world that is going to argue that hockey didn't come from the Mi'kmaq territory. Not Nova Scotia as a province, but the Mi'kmaq territory. Oh, this is Ottawa. Yes, it's Cheryl. We have some um, some evidence down here, people, secondary evidence, talking about the Mi'kmaq playing a game on ice in 69. The stories never seemed to end. It kept going and going, and then we didn't realize to the end that we ignored the story and our discoveries were part of It requires a certain amount of proof, uh, I think, uh, to, to claim an invention. Uh, you know, today we, we call that copyright. Uh, back then, uh, you know, there, there's uh, there's no means of of of, uh, of doing that. Um, I think their game, whatever it was, influenced our game. Whether it was exactly like our game, I suspect not. It couldn't be like our game. They did not have steel skates. If they skated, they skated on bone skates. If they didn't skate. Was it ice hockey? People have different opinions about that. had been playing uh, a field game and a non-ice game prior to Europeans. And I don't doubt, there, there's no reason to disbelieve him. I, I think uh, the evidence supports a general Nova Scotia perspective. And I think the Mi'kmaq would be part of, part of that too. I think from a prehistory point of view and uh, the evidence of which is a large amount but that does have some credibility in terms of, of how it was described making sense. It's the detail and the nuances that are different. Was it ice hockey? I wouldn't call it that. Is it the, the roots of our game? I'd be more likely to call it that. I'm confident 
that our ancestors and the oral history they shared and their conviction that the Mi'kmaq invented hockey and that we had this name long before the pale faces arrived, I believe them. I believe them. They can believe what they want. Everyone has their own opinion. Like, but like all the research, it just goes down to the big I think hockey is such a, a beautiful sport that is a gift of the Mi'kmaq to the rest of the world. Um, there's no there's no taking that game or keeping it for ourselves, but I'd love to give pride to our kids and other Aboriginal children in this country you know when they step on that ice, that that came from the Mi'kmaq people. So that was uh, very powerful. Um, Dane, did you want to add any comments there? Yeah, I would just uh, comment that like a lot of like the argument um, that uh, the uh, hockey historian had was, um, I think it, it's based on worldview. Uh, our our stories are all there. There our stories and our history are passed on orally. Um, and I know I understand. Like I I have Western education. Like I I've gone to university and like, uh, I I understand. Uh, you know, Western perspectives on history and having, you know, writing, writing things down and keeping record that way. Um, but it, it just, it, it just um, to display the, the, a little bit of a difference in worldview. And uh, um, also I, I, the point I wanted to make with that video is just to get your mind going and say, oh, like what if indigenous people did have, you know, an invention, it did invent hockey or like they had a very, very significant influence on the game of hockey. And uh, just to pique your interest around that and maybe look into a little bit more about that. Awesome. Um, we have a couple of people joining. Al G, a good friend, Al from Out West is joining. So he says, thanks for giving us a great opportunity to educate ourselves. That's the whole point of what we're doing. And I'm hoping um, that, you know, this will be forever stored in uh, the bowels of YouTube so people will find and stumble upon it and, and learn as well. Um, hockey card nostalgia also seconds this point out. So I appreciate all of you coming out to, to watch this. Um, and, and I know it's a it's a bit of a bittersweet story, but let's uh, let's keep going. All right, name trivia time. All right. So does anyone know who the first indigenous player was in the NHL? Kent, you're not allowed to answer. <laughs> not allowed to answer. If anybody, if anybody wants, wants to guess, guess, go for it. Take a guess, somebody. Just one. Anybody. It's okay. There's only five of you. Six of you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is like a high school class. Yeah. We won't put anyone right. on this Okay. That's, that's fine. All right. So um, the question of who the first Indigenous player was in the NHL often comes up. Um, a lot of discussion around it. Um, a few years back, about three years ago, Beckett did a really, really nice article about this topic. And um, it's starting to uh, come out a, a lot more um, in common conversation these days. Um, but uh, before, I, before I go there, I want to be able to uh, talk about who is Indigenous. So what does Indigenous mean? So the word Indigenous is kind of, it's an umbrella term. Um, if you're unfamiliar, and I know like it gets confusing over the years. Um, there's a lot of different names that have been are been given, and I, I stress the point that it's been given by the Canadian government to uh, Indigenous people um, 
to categorize them, uh, to categorize us uh, in, I guess, legally, I guess, but over the years, like you've probably heard First Nation, you've heard Indian, you've heard Aboriginal, you've heard, you've heard Indigenous, you've heard Native. There's all these different names that have been given and prescribed to um, the First Nation, Métis, Inuit peoples. But the term Indigenous um, is an umbrella uh, inclusive term that um, refers to uh, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit people. And, uh, and I would say as far as things go, um, with all the names that we've been given over the years, this is probably the, the best one that has been given so far. Um, because if you look at the uh, definition of the word Indigenous, it means um, something or someone that um, occurs naturally in a certain place. Um, so just to, uh, um, I guess, alleviate some of that confusion about, you know, uh, what Indigenous means and who it's inclusive of, um, it's, it's an umbrella term to, uh, to um, put together the First Nations, Métis, Inuit people um, legally, I guess. And, uh, and I just want to remind you, it's a name that's given and that uh, Indigenous people all across uh, the, the land have uh, names in their own languages that they refer to themselves as. And if you've heard me at the very beginning uh, refer, refer to myself as Nehio, and that's our, that's our name for ourselves. Um, but I just wanted to explain some of that because some of that is, is confusing uh, and it's always changing and I always uh, like to make note of that. But uh, So when we're talking about Indigenous players, we're talking about players who are First Nations, Métis or Inuit. And uh, there's also like um, what's called non-status First Nations. So those are, those are people with Indigenous ancestry but don't necessarily have like the status, the the uh, the legal status of a, of a First Nations person. And uh, there's a, a lot of players who played over the years who, uh, you know, have that background. They have the uh, First, Nation, First Nations heritage in their background that um, played in the NHL. And uh, a lot of people don't talk about them in conversation because I think a part of this is, is because of that confusion around the word Indigenous or Aboriginal or Native and like what exactly it means. Um, so I, I like explaining that. Um, so when you look at who is the first Indigenous player in the NHL, um, a lot of people uh, referred to Fred Sasakamus um, as being the first Indigenous player in the NHL. And uh, for many years, he was uh, known as that. And, uh, um, and it, it was a conversation that was, um, you know, is brought up quite often, often in the hobby. And um, when I was putting my collection together, and I always had that impression when I first started it back in 2014, and when I was looking um, into the history, I saw that George Armstrong played before Fred Sasakamus. So um, there is one Indigenous player that played before him. But the thing I want to point out is like what Fred is recognized for now is being the first um, treaty status Indigenous player. So he's, he's the first player to... Uh, have uh, who who comes from a, a treaty uh, community, First Nations community, and has the status of a, a First Nation player to make it to the NHL. And I would say, like he's, as far as I know, he's probably the first player to come directly out of a residential school into the NHL. So that in itself is a, a even more impactful. Um, you heard me talk a little bit about the residential schools, and, and it was like almost a miracle that he come out of, right out of residential school and like almost straight into the league um and he endured all of those things over the years 
and uh, he made it to the league. And I, I think that is something we should be talking about more than him being the first, you know, uh, indigenous player in the NHL, just because it's like almost like a, it, it speaks to his character and um, and the kind of person he is to be able to persevere through all that and 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 make it to the NHL. But there were a number of uh, indigenous players who um, played before. Um, yeah, I, I have an example here. Um, this wasn't during the time of the NHL, but uh, there was there were two uh, Métis brothers who played for the Winnipeg Victorias who won the Stanley Cup um, before the NHL was the NHL. So if you remember, the NHL um, came into existence in 1917, and before that, they still had the Stanley Cup. So um, he won a Stanley. They the brothers won um, Stanley Cups in 1896, 1901, and 1902. And um, the picture I have there is it's. Um, 1992 Highliner Stanley Cup champion winner Peg Victoria and uh, Rod Flett, who is the older brother and won three Stanley Cups, is in the back row. Um, I guess on on your left, uh, on the very back, and, and he he and his brother Magnus won multiple Stanley Cups with the Winnipeg Victorias. Um, so if we want to go to the next slide. So um, these are this is a list of the first Indigenous players in the NHL. And it goes as far back as 1918. Um, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, there's a lot of evidence online uh, available through through articles and like um, stories that were shared uh, about Paul Jacobs um, being the first Indigenous player in the NHL who played. Um, he was on the he was on the uh, score sheet for five games during that season, but um, there's no like evidence other than that that he played. Um, if you read like the newspapers, like the newspapers were reporting that he was at the game, but not in the lineup. So there's a lot of speculation about whether Paul was the um, was the first Indigenous player in the NHL or not. But uh, um, for sure, um, it was uh, that we know of uh, Clarence Taffy Abel, who played from 1926 to 1934. And he was also the first American to play in the NHL and also won a Stanley Cup with the, the New York Rangers. Um, as well, there was uh, Henry Elmer, Buddy Marco, uh, Joe Benoit, Smitty, Johnny Harms. Uh, Johnny Harms was Indigenous, but they don't know what his background is because he was uh, he was adopted as a child and he never had contact with any of his biological family. Uh, Jim Jameson also played um, in a game with New York Rangers uh, during the 43-44 season. Might have been four games if I'm thinking correctly. Uh, and then George Armstrong played in 1949, and then Fred was the next Indigenous player after that. But um, all the, the players that are listed here, um, none of them are, are treaty status, so that's that recognition that uh, that, fled, that Fred gets um, from the from the community and from the NHL. So these are just a, a, a few that we know of. Um, there could be more players that have not been reported, uh, and I'm. I learn more and more about this uh, every year. There's always more players that, that come forward and, uh, and that um, identify as being Indigenous. Um, another thing that's interesting here is, so name, um, you spoke eloquently earlier that uh, your, your history is verbal, right? Like you pass it on verbally. So you're doing something in a bit of a different light. You're actually recording it live through cyberspace or through the internet, right? 
So we're hoping that this spreads to words that you're saying to other people so they can pass it on and continue to pass it on. So it's still another form of words, but this is a, a greater medium. So if uh, for those of you, and the reason I'm saying this, for those of you who are watching, if you're kind enough to please spread uh, names, words, uh, follow his himself on uh, Indigenous Rookie Cards on Instagram, and we'll show it after. And, you know, pass along this video so other people can learn as well. And name could potentially learn and spread his his reach to other people to to grow this story to be bigger and bolder than it is now. And I, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge all the uh, hockey historians who have um, put together different uh, articles and stories about individual players. Um, I just don't know that anyone has compiled it uh, um, outside of this list that we have right now. Um, but I, I know individually the stories are out there, um, but just not in a, in a list in any one place. Name, this is a, a silly question, potentially, but is there an Indigenous Hall of Fame? Um, and I think like provinces have their own Indigenous Sports Hall of Fames. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. And then here's some, uh, I just wanted to share some current Indigenous players you might know. Uh, of course, we all know Ethan Barris, uh, Michael Furland, uh, Michael Furland is Cree and of mixed heritage. Travis Hamanek uh, identifies as Métis. Greater Keeper is Cree. Um, Brandon Montour is Mohawk. Uh, TJ Oshie is, um, he's a, a, you know it as Ojibwe, but it's also uh, in their language in Anishinaabe. Gary Price is Dakel. And uh, Zach Whiteclub is uh, he's Sue. So these are all current players uh, who are in the NHL. Uh, and there's um there's a couple there's a few guys in the NHL who are um, who are coming up. But I just wanted to share this just so that you have some names. I don't really have a lot to uh, to add other than that. I mentioned this to you before. So when I, I didn't know Ethan Bear, I didn't know half these people were indigenous until I met name. Um, so now when Kent and I are, well, actually mostly me because Kent doesn't collect hockey cards. So boo Kent. Um, I, I open up packs of cards and now I'll recognize, oh, Ethan Bear or Furland. Actually just now I didn't realize Furland was an indigenous player. So I, I like, I'll open up packs and, oh, I know this. And it's because of the education that you passed. It's actually soaked in my brain. So at least I'm aware and getting more aware. Uh, there's one name on this list that I don't want to see right now until uh, next year, <laughs> Gary Price, because I'm a Leafs fan. Um, and the second comment I want to make was, and I made this comment a long time ago, if Ethan Bear was only drafted by the Bruins, that would have been like the epic, epic, <laughs> epic uh, association, name association. Yeah. So I just want to make note of uh, Ethan's jersey there. Um, nope, sorry. You saw it uh, earlier this year. He wore a game. I see he wore it for a game. Uh, and that's our uh, written language. Um, it's uh, it's a very sacred uh, form of writing for us, and it's uh, it's it's a lot of people call them syllabics, but they're they're also like known as um, they're they're called spirit markers. So uh, just wanted to make note of that. And uh, each of those symbols has a different sound. You put them together, makes the word musqua. Oh, cool! And that's what the bear. Okay, I get it. Yeah, so it's a yeah. translation. Yeah. Yeah. Did you want to touch on anything else here? Or are you good? I'm good. All right. So um, just want to make note of this too. There have been 14 different uh, Indigenous NHLers who won 
Stanley Cups, and uh, I just put them in in order here of the most to uh, the least. Uh, I mean, you know, one is not a least, but I mean, just numerically. Um, you know, Brian Trotchy, seven Stanley Cups. Grant Fuhrer, five Stanley Cups. Um, George Armstrong, four Stanley Cups. Jordan Olin, three Stanley Cups. Uh, DJ King, two Stanley Cups. Bobby Taylor, two Stanley Cups. Uh, Clarence Tapiebel, one Stanley Cup. And I just want to make a, um, a note, like Bobby Hate Taylor, like um, I just happened to come upon the fact that he was of mixed heritage. And um, he, he says himself, like he's like, he, he's so like, he, he said it's so far down the line that uh, he said, I don't like it, like to acknowledge it, just like out of respect for people. But he, he is, he does have indigenous heritage in his, in his family history. And uh, like a lot of people, like they call him the chief and stuff because he's like darker skinned and all that. But um, yeah, uh, we can just move on to the next slide. Some more Stanley Cup winners here: Joe Benoit with the Montreal Canadiens, Craig Berube won as a coach, Theo Fleury with the Calgary Flames, Jeff Friesen with the New Jersey Devils, Jamie Leach with the Pittsburgh Penguins. His uh, father, Reggie Leach, with the Philadelphia Flyers, and then T.J. O'Shea with uh, Washington Capitals. It's interesting because uh, in the land acknowledgement, I was just saying Anishinaabe was one of the the terms, the, the areas that we mentioned. So it's come up two or three times now in this list. Mm -hmm. And then just um, another list of the NHL award winners. Just um, wanted to make note of these. Um, there haven't been too many Indigenous players who won awards uh, in the NHL. So I think this is pretty significant. Excuse me. So I think this is pretty significant that, that we're able to see who, who won uh, which award and when they won it. And yeah, I, that's good. Unless you have something to add about that. No, I just saw Carey Price's name again. I went. Oh, it's there uh, three times, I think. Uh, really? One, two. Yeah. Oh, God, it is there three times. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to keep moving. Actually, four times. What? It can't be. Really? Yeah. One. Yeah, I yeah, know. It's there uh, four times. <laughs> oh, man. Add insult to injury. Believe me. <laughs> Too soon. Sorry about that. Yeah. Something I just wanted to, uh, I guess, is just the uh, presence of racism in hockey. Um, hockey is a game that's for everybody, and um, you know, it, it's it, it's um, it's a place that we should be able to come together and, and something that we share in. Like I, 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 I'm not. I don't call myself a hockey player by any means, but I, 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 I do play sometimes, and it's it's something I really enjoy doing because, like, um, it's so stress free for me because. Uh, I, I'm a basketball, I identify as a basketball player. And when I get to play hockey, um, it's just so stressful to be out on the ice and, uh, you know, play the game and just enjoy it. And uh, I think that's what we should all be doing. And it should be something that brings us together. But, uh, you know, it's it's very present. present. Historically, it's been very present. Um, I do have a quote here from Fred Sasakamus um, where he says, I was striving for success in an outside world that was not meant for me. For me to be in a public life, to be in white society was very difficult. So he he, he had a hard time um, playing hockey. Um, and just like a lot of other indigenous players, there's a lot of stories out there of, of uh, 
name calling that went on during games, uh, you know, things being thrown at them, um, fights breaking out outside of the arena. Like I've heard of fights breaking out outside of the arena between fans and players because, uh, and this is professionally um, because of racist things that were being said um, or those things, ex those words extended into the parking lot, uh, which is very unfortunate. And um, something I wanted to make note of is like over the years of collecting hockey cards, I've also, um, uh, I've also come across a lot of uh, stereotypical depictions of indigenous peoples that are on hardbacks. And, uh, you know, as you know, hockey cards, you know, the reason why we collect as adults is because we collected as kids and it was very nostalgic for us. So you can imagine these hockey cards going into the hands of kids um, you know, I'll be like, I'll be in the seventies and sixties and having these, uh, racist stereotypical depictions of indigenous people just because of their heritage. And, um, what that does, that, that creates a narrative like that these, um, stereotypes are, are accurate, uh, when in fact they're, they're, they're not accurate. Um, and, and I think like, um, the, the fact that this is on the back cards does speak to the times um we were living in uh back then and you know it, it's still something that carries forward today that there's a lot of these stereotypical um depictions of indigenous people that we see uh very present in sports and uh i just wanted to bring that up and, and show you some examples and i i do have more examples of that and i've been actually thinking about uh writing writing something about it uh, um but uh i need time for that i got three kids <laughs> hey name yeah. Um, do you welcome the fact that certain teams now are changing their names now? Like, for example, and then the Washington Redskins stopped using the Redskins. Uh, and there's other teams that are still using, like, you know, Blackhawks, Braves, the ones that I can think of off the top of my head right now. The yeah. CFL, the Edmonton Eskimos just changed from Eskimos to uh, Elks. Something yeah. like that. I have to look it up. Yeah, yeah I, I welcome name changes. Um, I, I think, like, uh, the, the name Redskins, a lot of people don't understand is that like, that's very hurtful to Indigenous people because we were referred to by the government as Redskins. And there's like, actual documentation that there there is financial reward from the government for the people for people bringing in the scalps of Redskins. Um, so if you killed someone who was Indigenous and you took their scalp to the to the government to show that you killed them, um, you would get money for it. So it's very something that's uh, very traumatic and triggering for Indigenous people. And that name, uh, you know, that name provides that association to people. And um, as, as far as other names go, like, um, I, I think that if, if they've spoken to, um, you know, local communities about the use of names and they've had that permission, then uh, I, I think that, like, uh, that, you know, it, it's, you know, it's okay just because of locally, mm -hmm. but sure. uh, if there's things that people are saying that are offensive, um, I think it's important to be able to listen to their voices. And uh, like a lot of the a lot of the names we hear, like Redskins, Eskimos, and uh, um, even Indians isn't really used anymore. Um, those those kinds of names, I, I feel, even Chief, like Chief is something that's uh, racially right, yeah. associated to, to First Nations people. Like, I'll just give an example of that. Like um, my brother, older brother was working at a gas station and uh, he, this was uh, a few years ago now, but when um, the guy pulled up to um, 
get some down seeds. He said to my brother, fill her up, chief. And um, that was used in a very racial way because my brother is uh, First Nations. Um, but it, names like that, I, like, I'm, um, I'm in support of. And like, if the people are saying change it, then I, I'm on board with them. Because the community, the community, like the community is who we should be listening to. Um, another piece of history. So for people in, uh, who are listening to this on podcast, I'm sorry for those on the podcast who can't see what we're sharing here, but we'll put links to uh, the deck here. Um, there is a very famous book called Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, which I think every single person in this world should read at least once. Um, and it speaks to a lot of what name is speaking to from a global, global scale. Anyways, um, Al G is the one that confirmed that it is Edmonton Eskimos and now the Edmonton El Elks. So just want to flash it up here. Oops, sorry, Al. Um, Edmonton Elks and Hockey Card Nostalgia. I'm not sure what you're frantically searching on the name site, but I'm glad you are. <laughs> that was for the trivia. That was for the trivia. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> um, so back to your slides. I'll go to the next one. Yeah. yeah so. Um... Something that you may have come across on Instagram last week was uh, Indigenous Jersey Day. And um, uh, what I wanted to be able to do with, uh, with Indigenous Jersey Day, this was a response to the racism and lateral violence Ethan Bear was receiving online. Um, there was a lot of very, very negative comments directed towards him. Uh, you know, he made a big mistake in a hockey game. And, you know, those kinds of things should be, uh, I, I think those kinds of things should be, um, things that are discussed amongst teammates um, and, um, you know, settled, settled um, between teammates. And it's not, I don't think it's up to fans, even though we're very passionate and we want our teams to live, uh, to win, um, to, uh, you know, just run somebody's name in, into the ground and like uh, say very hurtful things. Like, you know, I read a couple of racial comments. I will, I won't repeat, but, um, there's a lot of comments made that he doesn't belong in the NHL. He's the worst player on the team. Doesn't deserve to be in the Oilers jersey. Should get traded. He should be right out of the NHL. Um, just things like that. And I thought that was really hurtful that um, people were saying those kinds of things about him. And yeah, he's like a professional athlete, but um, I, I don't think it was very deserving. Deserving. Uh, he's a really good hockey player, young up, up and coming player. He's only 23. And um, He's important to the indigenous community because he's he goes out of his way to uh, give back to the community. And he's an amazing role model for for youth, um, and he's always willing to give back. Um, so I just wanted to be able to bring attention to what was happening and uh, turn the negativity into positivity. And um, just it was meant to support athletes, indigenous athletes, and provide some uplifting messages to the community. And that was that was on Friday, and um, it was really awesome to see. And like it kind of like hit on the same day as that news came out about um, this 215 kids found at the residential school in Kamloops. Um, so it, it kind of like, um, for me, it kind of like kept my mind off of that for a day. And uh, it was really awesome to see all the kids and the, the schools participating in that and and, and supporting uh, not only Ethan, but all indigenous athletes out there. All right, and, and something I just want to make note of is the Indigenous Hockey Research Network. So what they do is they do research that uh, uh, they do research on the history, the impact of the Indigenous people have on the game of hockey. Um, they do a lot of, um, I guess, interviews of people. Uh, 
find out more about like their experiences playing hockey, like whether positive or negative. And they try to bring those stories to light and they're, they try actively find ways of, uh, of remedying those things, um, providing the evidence that they find from people in the community and bringing that forward so that um, the communities can start doing something about it. Like if something needs to change, they do that. And what they're about is they're, they're about creating equity in the game of hockey and hopefully to strive towards equality. Um, and they, they just do a lot of really, really great work. And, and all of them, all the researchers are, they're, all, they all, they're all in, well, for the most part, they're, they're indigenous. I would say about 75% of them are indigenous and they are all like, they all have like PhDs or like master's degrees. So they, they do some pretty, pretty cool work. Awesome. And, um, what one of the final things I wanted to talk about was uh, intergenerational trauma uh, and how this like it comes up uh, amongst indigenous people quite often um, peoples and uh, you know it, it's something that is not uh, that is affects everybody I should say and it also affects professional athletes. Um, this segment here is a, this is a clip from a documentary called "They Call Me Chief," and it's about uh, Indigenous players who have made it to the NHL. And uh, this is Reggie Leach talking about his experiences growing up and like how um, he started drinking at an early age. Uh, he's lost a lot of family members, and um, you know, they, there's there's a lot of um, uh, I guess a lot of things pointing towards intergenerational trauma and the things he shares. Um, and if you look at his his life when he was growing up, both of his his parents um, left him, unfortunately left him uh, when he was just a small child and he was raised by his grandparents and, you know, he lost some siblings and, um, you know, he, he kind of turned to alcohol. So he, he talks about that. I'll, I'll let him talk about it. This is a documentary that's about 20 years old. Cool. So I'll hit play. Forgive me for my text messages. I can't seem to turn them off. Um, yes, I have some Nick Suzuki cards coming in the mail. In, in drinking, when I grew up in Riverton, everybody drank. I thought by picking up at age of 12, I thought it was normal. I had one brother that uh, froze to death in Riverton. I had another one brother that wrapped himself around a telephone pole. I had a sister that, uh, that uh, uh, I don't even know what it is, uh, froze in a car, fell asleep. And then I had another brother that uh, drank himself to death. Playing in a national hockey league uh, back in the 70s is that alcohol was always provided for you. It was in a dressing room, it was on the bus, it was on an airplane. I played many games hungover. I had a great career, but my personal life was bad. Gary Dornhofer said to me one year, one year that I went off and scored only 24 goals, he said, Reggie, you better go back to drinking again. You're miserable. You're not playing well. You're not scoring. I'm not sure if he was serious or just a joke. I quit three or four times uh, on my own. But I always did it for the wrong reason. I always did it for the hockey team or my kids, my wife, and you have to do it for yourself. Uh, I am an alcoholic. Being an alcoholic, it ruins everybody's lives. And for all the years I was 
drinking. I hurt a lot of people. Uh, alcohol ruined my marriage. It ruined my relationship with my kids. Alcohol took over my whole life, and I had to stop to get myself straightened out again. So I quit, I quit hockey in 1984. I got divorced in 1984, and I went, and when I quit drinking in 1984. So there was two negatives for me and one positive. The positive part was that when I quit drinking in 1984, I went to rehab. I was sitting beside this whole, I'll say white guy, okay? So then we got talking, and he says to me, so he knew who I was. So he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I was telling him I did the drug and alcohol thing with the, with the native kids and everything else. So we were talking and everything. And he, said, he says to me, don't you think it's a waste of time? And then who drinks in here? Okay. Who drinks in here? As soon as I ask the questions, their eyes go down, their heads go down. So I think there's a little more than two people in this room that drink. But I'm going to tell you something. Okay. I went through the same thing you guys went through as picking up, like I said, I picked up age of 12. I know it was a bad choice, but it's up to you guys to make the right choice. As far as I'm concerned, if I talk to a thousand kids, if I need one of them to listen or even think about it, I'm doing a job. Leach has remarried and runs a landscaping business in Philadelphia. And in between his anti-alcohol workshops, he attends flyer alumni functions with some old teammates who have also heard the drum. They understood that that uh, that when I went to these banquets, people always say, you know, the biggest thing was they would always say, "Come on, Reggie, you got one drink. They will never hurt you." And there was times that you guys, you got guys like Bob Daly and Horace Kinnerchuk. They would actually get mad at these people, and they would just and sternly and say, "He does not drink. And don't offer him anymore," and that's it. All professional athletes have to deal with the problems that come with the high profile they occupy in society, the pressure of performing, and the temptation oh, yeah. with fame and fortune. So I, I just wanted to uh, share that story about uh, Reggie Leach and uh, through this um, documentary called um, They Call Me Chief. And just uh, let you know, like, remind us that, um, you know, not all of the, the NHL players are you know, they're not immune to intergenerational trauma and it, it does affect them in some way. And uh, Reggie, um, you know, he, he dealt with that and he now today he, he does a ton of speaking to kids everywhere all across the country and um, does hockey camps with his son. Uh, he has a really positive, positive uh, message to kids and uh, uh, gives back to the community. And I, I think that those stories need to be heard um, and uh, and so that like it changes people's perspectives on things and gives people understanding that you know this intergenerational trauma like affects everybody uh, in the indigenous community. So this is uh, the slide, which is uh, more attend for high school students. <laughs> yeah. Here, um, 
again, so before we officially open it up to the floor, and I'm not expecting anyone to ask you ask the question because uh, some of the topics we covered today are important topics. It may be uncomfortable to listen to, but necessary, right? So if you if you are listening to this, whether you listen to us on podcast or you listen to this after on YouTube and you want to ask name a question, please reach out to him. I'm sure he'll be more than happy to answer. Don't feel the need to actually speak out loud if you don't not comfortable, but make sure your questions are heard. Um, the other thing I wanted to say was, so name originally, you know, so just so everyone is aware, when uh, I texted name around 830, you know, that's when Name mentioned that he was having a bit of difficulty trying to do this show because, you know, of the things that happened with the residential school um, incident that happened earlier with the 215 children that died. Um, and I, I, I actually wasn't expecting you to come on, Name, to be honest with you. Um, and I would have totally understood if you canceled. But I totally appreciate that you actually came on because your words mean a lot and i'm hoping that people will learn from it and i truly mean that i'm i'm touched by what you did so thank you very much yeah thanks again uh i mean kent for uh giving me an opportunity and space to be able to come here and, and share this with you and um you know like i said i what i share is is not to make anybody feel guilty or feel bad about things um it's a it's education and it's important that we educate ourselves on, on this like terrible history and things that still occur today in our country carries on. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just hope that, um, like I said earlier, uh, I hope that something I shared with you is, uh, it, it uh, stays with you and you're able to uh, listen, uh, listen to what I said and uh, it, it uh, encourages you, encourages you to explore a little bit more and, and expand your learning. I think we, I think it is perfect timing that your child walked into the room because, you know, it's kind of apropos that you know we have to pass this on to our younger children that are watching, right? Absolutely. Or it's part of my life. Um, just so you are aware, name um, to the topic in our house came up. We'll be talking to. I mentioned it to my children. What happened? Because they did an acknowledgement during the hockey game. I believe it was yesterday. So they're asking what happened. We touched upon it lightly, but we decided that on the Saturday, when we have time together as a family, we're going to go into it in more detail. So we're going to actually explain what happened. Um, so my wife and I try very hard to acknowledge, understand, and pass that information to our children so they grow up to be upstanding people and carry on the legacy. Um, Kent, I would like to give you a chance to to speak as well. Um, it's, it's hard for me to put in words because... Um... It's it's part of history that needs to be recorded and and, and uh, put out there. It's not one of those things you can just you know sweep under the rug, and it's not one of those things that'll go away. It it definitely needs to be heard and said, and and hopefully, and I I mean this wholeheartedly that we will learn from these things and never repeat them again. Um, and, and that's the, the greatest thing about recorded history. You can learn from your mistakes and not make those same thing, errors and stuff like that again. And uh, it's, uh, you know, again, I appreciate Name for being on our show tonight because it means a lot to, to me and I to have you here today. And honestly, like me had said earlier, you know, if you had decided to cancel, it would have been cool with us. Uh, and uh, the fact that you 
decided to come forward and, and you know, teach others, uh, I think was important uh, for tonight. So I appreciate everything you said, Name. So uh, on that note, um, if there is any questions, we'll leave it open for about a minute. Uh, name, we went a lot longer than the half hour we thought we were going to go. Um, we're, uh, we'll leave it open for about a minute. If anyone does want to ask a question, please feel free. If not, there is no pressure. Um, there, you can get us uh, after. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, there's probably my son coming in here is probably my cue to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and, uh, uh, yeah, sorry. Why don't we uh, say bye to everyone and we'll hang up and then uh, may name you to stay behind for about a minute and then we'll, we'll, we'll call it a night. Cool. Yep. That's cool. Okay. So just quickly, uh, just so everyone's aware you can follow name on actually, let me show the banner. I've been meaning to do it all evening and I keep forgetting. Oh. You can follow name at indigenous rookie cards. He'll answer all questions. He always will. Um, Kent and I will be at the Virtual Sport Card Expo in at the, near the end of June. Here's a link to sign up uh, to attend the show. And we also have um, coming up. We have uh, some uh, we'll have some women on the show. So Hannah of She Collects Cards, and we'll have Sam of Women of the Hobby on WOTH on as well. So we're very excited about those two. Again, it speaks to diversity, inclusivity, and culture. We want to bring it all together, but I'm glad we have to have some have a, a couple of women coming in to showcase their their passions for the hobby. So yeah, with that, I'm going to bid everyone a good night. Sorry, me, just one second. I just want to be clear that uh, name you can find name on Instagram and Twitter. So it's, so if you're on on either social media applications, you can find them on Instagram and Twitter. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Instagram and Twitter. And Sanderson to Or says thank you. Al was appreciative of the show. So there's two people and Dennis as well. So there's three people that have, have listened to what you had to say name. So three people, not bad. Um, we're going to say good night. Cheers, everyone. Have a good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>